So we are in week four of our series, our final week of our series called Ecclesia. Uh, we've been studying this for, the, for a couple weeks now, and we've been, just been trying to figure out what God's church is supposed to be about. The Ecclesia, if you translate that from its original language, it just means gathering, to gather. And it was a normal term that they used back in uh, 2,000, 3,000 years ago to just describe things that were happening in their community. So uh, they would have political gatherings, political ecclesias, they'd have uh, potluck ecclesias, you know, all the things that you would normally see where people just gather. But the church took that term and they made it into something that was a little bit more important. And we call the ecclesia, it's a, we have adopted that as a church term, and, but we really mean the ecclesia of God's people, the gathering of God's people. And we, we've taken this from Acts 2, 42 through 47. I'm going to read this as I have every single week. It says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had needs. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, after Jesus left, the apostles, uh, this was the thing that they kind of gravitated towards. This Acts 2, 42 through 47 was kind of whenever Jesus left, this is what they kind of put together as a placeholder on what needed to continue for generations to come. This was kind of an overarching snapshot of what the church should be. Now, this doesn't have all the nitty-gritty details on what the church should be. This isn't a perfect picture of what the church should be, but it's kind of this overarching snapshot of what it could be. And today, we are going to talk about one aspect of that as we talked about each aspect of it, on something that we were created to do, something that humans are drawn to and something that's very, very important for all of us. Today, we're going to talk about community in the church. See, at the very beginning of the year, we talked about this theme. We had a whole theme for the entire year, and, and a lot of our teaching and the things that we've done throughout the year have kind of been geared around this, and that was called generous community. When it comes to each other, we're trying our best to be generous. We're, when we gather, we're supposed to be generous. When we invite each other in each other's homes, we're supposed to be generous. When somebody who is in need in our church, we are called to be generous. We're trying to be generous. Uh, when we have Bible studies, when we have men's studies, when we have men's events, when we have women's events, we uh, try, whenever we show up, try to be generous to the best of our ability. Generosity is something that is very, very important in the church and very, very important within the Christian community. Now, this, a lot of us tie generosity with money or, or finances, but that is one part of it, and that's a very, very important part of it, but there's plenty of other ways that are just as important in generosity than finances. When somebody who is in need, we need to be generous. You know, we all have time, we all have the ability to be there, 
We all have the ability to have the, the presence of ministry in each other's lives. We have the ability to use our skills and our talents in order to be generous with what we've been given. We all have the ability to prioritize relationships in our life, in our hearts, and in our spirit to make sure that we are generous towards each other within community. And probably the most important one, we have the ability to hold each other's burdens and be generous in that way. So that if, if anybody's going through something in a difficult time, we have the ability to be generous in that way and just hold their burdens maybe even for a minute so they can breathe. We have the ability to do that with each other. So our main point today is this. Community and fellowship is the strength of the church. And that's what we're going to talk about today. When we have nothing left, we still have Christ and each other. Those are the two things that we have left. If somebody comes in and strips everything away from us in the United States, we still have two things in our life, which are Christ and each other. We have the ability to be together as much as we want. And we, make, we, we, we try to make that important in each other's lives. We absolutely learn that at a very young age, that there are power within numbers. We know, obviously, from Scripture that the Bible says that we have power because of the Holy Spirit, because Jesus left that with us. But we also know that on an earthly standpoint of, of accomplishing earthly things, we can do that when we have power in numbers. The more people that come together and lock arms, the more we can accomplish. And we've seen this all over the place. We see this when natural disasters happen, like we see in Florida. There's already a line of people that are willing to go down there to try to make an impact. When we had both western and eastern Kentucky things, we had lines backed up the interstate for that exit for people trying to go in to try to make an impact that try to aid to the people that were hurting. If you're, if you're old enough to remember this, uh, in 9-11 in 2001, the day after, I, I remember this to a T of people coming together and saying, we are America and locking arms and trying our best to lift each other up in this terrible moment. A lot of people say that I never want another 9-11, but everybody longs for that 9-12, if you remember that, of people just coming together. If you've ever been on a local or global mission trip, you've seen how a small group of people going to an area to make a huge impact, whether it's building, whether it's healing, whether it's just impacting a small group of people, you can see that a group of people coming together to make a huge impact. It's almost like there is energy when, it, when a crowd of people come together cheering, let's go home team together. We've even seen this in sports We've seen that uh, different uh, college teams that have very large fan bases coming together and they almost seem like it's an extra person on the field with all these people cheering and cheering on these players. It's very difficult for an away team to go to another team's place because of how loud the crowds can be. We see this on a, a completely vertical or horizontal standpoint that together, when we come together, we can make a huge impact. Even on a human contact of control, there is fear if people decide to come together. We've seen this in different wars. We've seen this when, when slavery was popular. Even slavery in other countries are still popular. It's trying to push people down because there's almost this fear of what would happen if those people actually came together. We see this in, in Scripture with uh, the Jewish people, how they were enslaved multiple times over, over, their, over the, the reign of the Jewish people, the Israelite people. 
because of the fear of what could happen. Now, a lot of these, this enslavery was due to themselves and the choices that they made, but the very important one that we see in Exodus, where they were enslaved by, by the Egyptians, the big fear that we see with Pharaoh is we need to remove the younger kids because if they grow up, we will not be able to control them anymore. There is a large, a large possibility that when they come together, they can make a really, really big impact. See, I learned this at a very young age because I watched a cartoon when I was young called A Bug's Life. How many of you guys have seen that before? If you have kids that are around uh, my age or younger, it's, it's a popular, a really old Disney movie. It came out in 1998. And there is a scene in this, in this kind of wrapped around scene, where these ants are being controlled by the grasshoppers. And if you guys know, you know exactly where I'm going. And the grasshoppers have a deal with these that they will protect them and not, not harm them if they feed them once a year before the raining season. So they take a portion of everything that they do, they put it on this leaf, and then they wait for the grasshoppers to come and they eat. But there was one ant that kind of messed up and they ended up losing all of the grain that they kind of gathered over the entire season. And when the grasshoppers showed up, they were really mad and they say, you have a very short while to gather all of this grain back again so that we can still protect you and we will not harm you. And there was one grasshopper that stood up, not grasshopper, there's one ant that stood up to this grasshopper. And there's kind of like this hint of, you know, if we bind together, maybe we don't have to listen to these grasshoppers. And I want to show you that, this clip of right after that, there's this interaction between the grasshoppers on trying to figure out if it's worth it to go back and eat. They have enough food for the rainy season, and, and a lot of the grasshoppers are trying to question whether or not they should go back and get this grain. So check out this clip. I mean, why take the risk? You should tell Hopper. Good idea. But, you know, it's really not our place. I mean, you're his brother. That makes you like the vice president of the gang. Wow, it kind of does, doesn't it? Okay, I'll tell him. Boy, I should talk to you guys more often. What if Hopper doesn't like it? Then at least the genius will get smacked, and not us. Vice President Mo. <laughs> yeah, that's Lower, lower. Hey, Hop. Go away. That's fine. Then I won't tell you my idea. Good. Okay, okay. I'll tell you anyway. You see, I've been thinking, okay, which is something that I do, you know, being vice president and all. And this, this is a thought. It was mine. Why go back to Ant Island at all? I mean, you don't even like rain. What? You're right. I didn't think it was such a good idea myself. Actually, it wasn't even my idea. It was Axel and Locos. They talked fancy to me. I got confused. Uh. <laughs> 
stay in here. Yeah. What was I thinking going back to Ant Island? I mean, we just got here, and we have more than enough food to get us through the winter, right? Why go back? But there was that ant that stood up to me. Yeah, but we can forget about him. Yeah, it was just one ant. Ooh, <laughs> one ant. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's just one ant. Yeah, boss. They're puny. Hmm, puny? Say, let's pretend this brain is a puny little ant. Did that hurt? <laughs> nope. Well, how about this one? Are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> how about this? You let one ant stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's ride! See, at a very young age, I remember seeing that, and I immediately went to, you know, we're in elementary school. There's a lot of kids here. There's not very many teachers. Maybe... Just maybe we can be in control if we stand up against these teachers. You know, as a second grader, I, I really thought maybe we could break out of school, which is not smart. Don't do that if, if you're still in school. But as a, young, as, as a young kid, I realized very young that there are power, there is power when it comes to numbers. It doesn't matter how small you are. It doesn't matter... Um, if you're old or if you're young, if you have experience, if people gather together to bring their talents and their time and their energy together, you can really accomplish some amazing things. But at the ch- as the church, it's almost like when we gather together, we're supposed to be against something. You know, like, what, what is the purpose of us gathering together in community? Is it because we're trying to ward off something? I think this is hard for a lot of people because if you ask different Christians, you'll get completely different answers. Depending on who you ask and how long they've been in the church and what church they've been a part of and which denominations, you can probably say the reason we gather together is because of blank. Many people might you know, choose a specific thing. Maybe it's to fight against something the government's supposed to do or political party. Maybe it's to fight against different religions. Or maybe just fight against a specific person. But in Hebrews 10, through 25, I think this paints a really good picture on what we're supposed to do when we gather. It says this, Let us draw near to God with sincere hearts and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed 
with pure water. Let us hold unwaveringly to the hope we profess. For he who promises is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one along on towards love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. As all great groups of people gather together, they try to accomplish something. Some groups gather together to, to ward off something or fight against something or to accomplish something in, in maybe with the idea of a negative thing. But we see in Scripture that the church, we gather together to move forward towards Jesus and everything that we do. That when we gather together, we're supposed to encourage people to find hope in the things that we, we profess. That we, we need to remember that the person who promises is faithful. That we need to make sure that we, we never stop gathering together. And if somebody is starting the habit of not gathering together, we're supposed to encourage them to break that habit to gather together. And we kind of see this warning that as the day, the day being capitalized, the day that Jesus comes back, it's going to be more and more difficult for us to gather together. So we need to make sure we never forget to have community with each other. That our community is to keep our eyes on Jesus as the target and nothing else. That if we set our eyes and the goal of Jesus, the things that will come out of us is love and good deeds as we encourage one another. I would like to think that the early church, the early church needed to be reminded of what was going, around, going on around them. That they, they gathered together and they kept their eyes so focused on Jesus that everything that was going on around them, they just couldn't even fathom. Because they were together with their brothers and sisters in Christ and that fulfilled everything that they needed. That being together, taking care of each other, carrying each other's burdens, fulfilled them so much that maybe their community outside of the Christian faith they couldn't even realize it. That their focus was so much on Jesus that it needed to be reminded that the people outside of the community probably mattered just as much as they did. That they were focused so heavily on each other and they were complete that they didn't even want to go back to their old community because it just made them feel incomplete so much. But here's an interesting point that we need to remember about that history of the Jewish people that turned to Christians, and the, the, the non-Jews that became Christians. Here's why Americans struggle so much with this. And here's why, why, why there are so many, there, this connection with community is so difficult. Here's why when somebody has a baby, or somebody has surgery, or somebody loses a parent, or, or their house, or, or, or whatever it is, that they kind of feel lonely whenever these happen, Christians. Here's why, why their fridge necessarily isn't stocked with a bunch of food from Christians. Here's why their fridge isn't stocked to the top with casseroles, basically. At this time in America, and, and honestly, just in America, because it's still happening in the Middle East and happening in every other country except for the Americas, that when you become a Christ follower, you lose 
absolutely everything. That every single country, when you, when you go to Asia, when you go to the Middle East, when everything, if they become a Christian, they, leave their, they, they have completely lost everything in their life. They lose their, their friends. They lose their families. They, they lose their community. They lose their fun activities. They lose their jobs. It'd be like if, if, if when you became a Christian, we stuck you in the middle of the ocean with a raft and just said, good luck. Many even feared their life because of their choice to follow Christ. Because of that, they only had each other. There was no one else. They couldn't run home to mom when they needed help. They couldn't run to dad when they needed more money. They couldn't go to the bar after work with their work friends that they've had for a long time. It was all gone. There was nothing left. So I get why the church, the big C church, the people of, of, of here sitting in this room, this can be a second choice for us. This can be a second thought in our life every single week. That we have our families, we have our jobs, we have the people that we meet with outside, the people we meet in the grocery store, the people we meet at the gym, or any other social gatherings. I get why this is kind of a second thought in our week. I get why the average person gives less than 2% of their income. I get why, why there is, uh, there is, it's okay to miss communion with each other. I, 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 get, I get why people miss church every single Sunday, or, or multiple times during the month. I get why we, why we have a meal train when people are, have a baby or, or, or something goes wrong in their life and there's empty spots in the meal train. I get it. I get why people even say, like, I don't, even, I don't need a meal train whenever things happen. I get it. The reason is because we're rich. If, if we're in need, we just go buy it, right? If we're hurt, we go to the doctor, if, if we're lonely, we, ju- we can just go online and search for, search for social gatherings all over town and we can go there. If something happens to your church, you know what? You can just go to the church across the street and you can start over. You don't have to try to forgive and try to enter back in the community if something goes sideways. I fully get it. I fool it because we have so many things and so many different options in our life. And when we become Christians in our life, we don't lose everything in our life. Because we're rich. See, Jesus has this interaction with a rich person. And, I, and, I, and, I, and it breaks my heart with this conversation. It says this in Matthew 16 through 24. It says this, Just then a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do, I, why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There is only one who is good, and if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one, he inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these things I have kept, the young man said. What, what do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. 
Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. When reading this story, there's something so blazingly obvious with this rich man. Is that he was not in community with God's people. Yes, he can follow all of the commands. He can follow the Ten Commandments to a T. But the very last one where it says, love your neighbor as yourself, he didn't, it's very obvious that he did not do that. Because when you love your neighbor as yourself, it is not that you both elevate together, but you elevate the person that is less than you up to where you are. That you sell your possessions, you're generous, and you give as much as you can trying to take somebody who is in need and elevate them to where you are to make sure that you are on even ground. It's not you elevate yourself as well as elevate somebody else because then there's still a hierarchy. But in the Christian faith and in community, we're all equals. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter your background. Because whenever we're called to be Christ, Christ, it says that Christ died for us, and in turn, we are supposed to die to ourselves. And the last I checked, everyone who is dead is on the even playing field. Except those that are in Christ have fellowship with other Christians. Community and fellowship is the strength of the church. And I have a few ways that we can accomplish that here using what we've studied so far. The first one is this. Send the message, make the call, make the casserole. I was probably thinking about um, food a lot when I, made this, when, I made, when I wrote this sermon. But there is something very powerful that is called the ministry of presence that I think we need to talk about just for a second. Just being there. Now, there's two sides to this thing. There, there, there's being there when things are good. You know, the graduations, the promotions, the new, ho- the new houses, the paying off debt, the, the coming of, of something that is good. We've even celebrated together when our kids went to the bathroom for the first time in the toilet. You know, gathering together when things are really good. And in those moments, you send the message, you make the call, you show up, and you bring food together and you celebrate. Because when you do that, you show that you have value, or the person that you're talking to has value in your life, and that what there's, what's going on in their life is important. Now, there's the other side to it. You know, things when things are difficult. And listen to me when I say this. This is really important. If you, if you don't hear anything else for the rest of the time, listen to me. When somebody is hurting... When somebody is struggling in their life, you are not bothering them. Let me say that again. If somebody is hurting in their life and they need community, if somebody is coming home from the hospital and they, they had surgery or something, if they had, somebody had a death in the family, if, something, if somebody lost their job, if somebody's in a low point in their life, you need to send the message, make the call, and make the casserole because you are not bothering that person. Don't convince yourself of it. Don't, you, don't convince yourself that they, they just need to be left alone. They need to deal with it on their own. No, they don't. Show up, send the message, make the call, and bring a casserole. Be there. You lose people in fellowship between these lines. If we are a community, we need to know 
what's going on in the people that are sitting to your left and to your right. Because there is power in the fellowship of the people. The second thing that, you, that, that, that we can do here is join a community group. Community groups are, are the reason that this church exists in the first place. A community group, if, if you are not a part of one, let me explain it real quick. It's when you gather with, EP, with each, uh, other Christians outside of Sunday morning gathering with the purpose of being in fellowship and eating together. That is the most important thing. That is the only expectation that you should have when going to a community group. Now, over time, when the community group starts and you, and you gather around the table and you eat together, if somebody brings a casserole, which is very, very important, it's very hearty, good food, you start to kind of have your own identity as your community group. See, some community groups just meet after, after Sunday morning gathering. They go to lunch together. They, they enjoy each other's company, and they, they move each other forward by, giving, by filling each other with the community. Some other community groups just uh, want to t- uh, sit around and eat and then study together. That's a value of some community groups. And some community groups just meet in each other's homes to, to kind of escape the things of this world and just be filled with the fellowship of God's people, of God's ecclesia. If you're interested in one of these community groups, they're so important. Uh, you can go to the QR code. I'm going to ask Megan to put this back up. And you can scan it. And at the bottom section, it says next steps. And the very first line, click on that. And in that, there will be a bunch of different things that you can check. But check the community group section and give me your phone number. And I will personally contact you and and place you in a community group that best fits your time and location. If that's something that you want to start, if you want to start a community group, if, or if you just have the, a really nice home and it's really good for community groups and you want to host a community group, let me know also. We would love to start more community groups as well. We always say that if you want to invite somebody to church, I would encourage you to first invite them to your community group so whenever they come to our gatherings, they have somebody to sit with and they see familiar faces, which is so very important. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. And the third thing is this, always keep your eyes up. See, whenever we, we uh, send the message, we make the call, we show up, it connects us with other people, which is really important. And if you join a community group and you, and you meet together in each other's homes outside of church, that connects you with a group of people. And if you go to things like our fall gathering that we're going to have next Sunday at 3 o'clock, make sure you're there, it's very important, it connects you with people that are a part of this church. And it's very, very important. But the reason I say always keep your eyes up is because when we gather together on Sunday mornings, we like to sit with the people that are in our community groups. We like to run to the people that uh, might be having good things in their life and we want to celebrate with them. Or if people are hurting in their life and we know that and because of community, we like to go to them and we like to pray for them. We like to encourage those people. But we always need to keep our eyes up because there are people that are currently looking for a community. There are people that come to our church for the first time searching for community in a Christ-centered environment. And we need to make sure that we always have our eyes up so we can see those people and invite those people in with open arms to the fellowship of God's people. We need to always have our arms open and invite people to the ecclesia of God's people, which is so important. We always say, whenever we talk about Jesus, that Jesus was very busy. 
He did ministry for three and a half years, and he accomplished a lot that we read in the Gospels, so many different things, and it even says at the end of one of the Gospels that you could fill up all the libraries in the world with the things and the signs and wonders that Jesus did. Like, we don't have all of the stories. But the one thing that he never was in was he was never in a hurry, ever. He did a really good job of always being available. So be available. Don't be a hurry. Don't be in a hurry. Always keep your eyes up and and be aware of your surroundings of people who might need prayer, who might need an open arm into the ecclesia of God's people, and never be in a hurry because I know we are busy. We need to follow God's example, Jesus' example on earth with that. Because the main point is this. Community and fellowship is the strength of the church. And I pray here at Elevate Christian Church that we continue to have that strength as we have for a year now. When we meet together here on Sunday mornings, we gather in each other's homes, we have special events, we have, we have online Bible studies, we have women's Bible studies, and all of those things, we bring our strength, which is just being together, which is so important. If you're interested in joining a community group, I really encourage you to do so. We have community groups in, in Nicholasville and Lexington, on the other side of Lexington, just waiting for people to join. If you want to start a community group, if that's been something that you've seen other people doing and you want to be a part of it and you want to start one, contact me. Go to the QR code, go to the next steps section and fill out that form and I'd love to contact you and put, and put other people in your community as well. God, I, I, I pray that we become a people that have your heart. That, God, you set up this community of people, the ecclesia of God's people, and you placed it in the hands of the apostles, and they did their best to realize that there is freedom in your, in, in your son's name. God, I know that in the early church and other parts of the United, in, in other parts of the world, we see that when people become Christians, they lose everything, and that was so important, and that's why they had community in that time. That was the reason that community was so important, and I pray that we have that same community here in the United States. That just because we have freedom of religion, and we have freedom to do this and that, and when you become, uh, when you become a Christian, you don't necessarily lose your community, I pray that we still put God's church community up front. That it's one of the most important things that we do. God, I, I pray that you set a fire in our hearts for community, for each other that we show up, we send the message, and we make a casserole, and we eat together, and we bring people back into the ecclesia of your son. God, I pray for our hearts, and I pray throughout our week that we can make an impact because of your son. God, you are good, and I ask this all in your son's name. Amen. Will you guys stand and worship with us?